Thank you for subscribing to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. Parkway Fellowship, commonly referred to as The Park, is a purpose-driven church in Katy, Texas, recognized for its innovation and rapid growth. Designed for the person who might not be used to attending church, The Park, one of the only purpose-driven churches in the area, has quickly become one of the most popular West Houston churches for people new to their faith, to church, or to living in the Katy area. It is our prayer that God changes your life through this message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Morning. My name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship. Really glad you're here today because today we're kicking off a brand new series, uh, Puzzled by the Bible. You know, when I was um, a teenager and I just first started getting serious about God and church and the Bible, that kind of thing, uh, you know, I started asking some questions. I started asking how do I know that this book is real? I mean, how do I know that this is really God's word and not, you know, like a collection of stories or fairy tales or fables? I mean, how do I really know that this is God's word to me? How do I know that for sure? Because here's the thing. If I'm going to like change my whole life based on what this book says, then I want to know it's real more than just somebody coming to me and going like, well, of course it's the Bible. Of course it's real. Well, okay. Thanks. That's helpful. So I, I began to search to try to find answers. But I got to be honest with you, I couldn't find any. I couldn't find any answers to the questions I was asking. I mean, look, the internet hadn't been invented by Al Gore yet. So I didn't know I didn't have that. And I didn't really have anybody that I could go ask. And so, I mean, I knew that there probably were answers. I just didn't know what they were. And so I decided, you know what? I'm just going to accept it for what it is and just go with it. Which, I'll be honest with you, was probably really good for me because it forced me to have more faith in that time of my life. Now, when I got to graduate school... That's when I began to discover the answers to the questions that I had been asking. Because when I got to graduate school, that's when I started to study the history of the Bible and how it was formed and all that went in to, you know, figuring out what actually should be in the Bible. And that is when I found the facts to confirm my faith. And it was at that point in time that the Bible became so much more exciting and so much more authoritative for me as a Christ follower. Because now I realize that, that because of how it was formed, that have how the message of the Bible had been tested and sifted over and over and over again, I knew, I knew that this was real. And I knew that this was indeed the word of God. Now look, I mean, there might be some of you in this room. Maybe, maybe you've asked some of these same questions that I have asked. Maybe you still do. And that's fine. Look, there's actually nothing wrong with questioning the Bible. There's nothing wrong with wondering, you know, is this really real or not? How do I know this? There's nothing wrong with any of that. That, that doesn't matter. It's not a real problem if you have any doubts like that. Um, in fact, 
during this series, I hope to do more than just offer education about the Bible. My hope is, is that in this series, that we will offer such compelling and overwhelming evidence that the Bible is real, that you will indeed come to the same conclusion that the Bible really is God's word. Look, if we get to the end of the series and you're not convinced, well, you haven't lost anything. But if we get to the end of this series and you arrive at the conclusion that, you know what, that really is God's word, then it's at that point that we have no choice but to change our lives and conform our lives to what it says. See, my hope is, is that what previously, at one time in your life, you know, would have been this huge leap of faith, now would just become a step of faith. Because the things that we're going to talk about in this series close the gap. So that begs the question, how do I know? How do I know the Bible is real? Well, pull out your message notes, because this is your first fill in the morning. I know the Bible is real. I know the Bible is real because of how it came into existence. Because of how it came into existence. Look, for the first 300 years after Jesus Christ died, Christianity grew at an exponential rate. Hundreds of thousands of people were coming to Christ. And and by this time, it had actually numbered into the millions. And Christianity had spread throughout the known world. Consequently, the teachings of Christ, they had been written down, but they had not been compiled into one resource. There were writings by the apostles and by early church fathers and by early church leaders, but they were scattered all over the New Testament world. But get this, almost as if by divine providence, every, just about every single church in the New Testament world all had the same 27 writings. Amazing. But there were some churches that had some additional writings, some additional teachings. And so there became some confusion about which of these writings should be believed and which of them should be discounted. And consequently, there also arose some heresies, that is some false teachings about Christ because of some of these spurious writings. And so there became a need to solidify in one resource what the authoritative uh, writings were and that's how we ended up getting our Bible. So, as a, as a consequence, as your next fill-in, a group of leading church fathers and scholars got together and convened in the Council of Hippo in 393 A.D. They got together in 393 A.D. Oh, you'll, they'll figure it out here in just a second. There, no, come on, guys. They got together at the Council of Hippo in 393 A.D. Let me get this for you. And they got together as a council because they needed to decide which of these books were real and which of these books weren't going to be real. Okay? Now, look. They called it the Council of Hippo. Let me get that right. They called it the Council of Hippo because Hippo was the name of the town in which they met. It's not because it was like a convention of fat guys, okay? So, some of you late starters got that now. Um, 
But look, so at the Council of Hippo, there was a threefold test to figure out which books should be included in the Bible, okay? Here's test number one. You're just going to have to follow along because I don't know if the thing is going to work or not. Um, a, it had to conform to Christian truth as practiced by churches across the world. It had to conform to Christian truth as practiced by churches across the world. Look, if there was one church out there that was like doing really wacky stuff because they were reading a letter written by some pot-smoking hermit, like they didn't include that, okay? Because it didn't conform to practices that had been widely accepted. That, this test kept spurious and kind of fringe stuff from finding its way into the Bible, okay? Test number two was this, or B, it had to demonstrate widespread and continuous usage by churches everywhere. The manuscript had to be in church, used in churches all over the world, okay? Because look, if it was just localized, then perhaps the truth contained in that writing would just be good for people in that area. But for it to be included in the Bible, it had to be truth that could be applied to anyone that lived anywhere. And I mean, isn't that true for those of you that are Christ followers? But more than that, it had to also demonstrate continuous usage. What I mean by that is that it had to demonstrate that over a long period of time, the writings in that book helped people of faith to build their faith. And they had to do it not just over a period of like 20 years, but over a period of like 200 years. So there's 200 years of historical reliability that, yeah, man, this work, it helps grow people's faith. And so those books found their way into the Bible. And then C, specifically about the New Testament, New Testament books had to be written by an apostle or someone known to be in immediate contact with the apostles. It had to be written by an apostle or someone known to be in immediate contact with the apostle. The idea was that the closer to the actual teaching of Christ and to the apostles, the more reliable it is, right? Okay, I mean, you know this to be true because the farther you get away from the actual incident or the actual eyewitness of the incident, the more corrupt a story becomes, the farther you get away from the original source. You know that to be true. And so they said in order to be included in the Bible, that writing had to either be written by an apostle or had to be written by someone who was in immediate contact with the apostles. So therefore, the, the, what was written could be confirmed as reliable. Make sense? Okay. Look, the Council of Hippo basically confirmed what the, was already being practiced across thousands of churches in the New Testament world. Look, and if something was demonstrated to be true by several million people across three continents, Europe, Asia, Africa, in hundreds of different localized cultures, in thousands of churches. I mean, isn't that compelling enough to say this very well likely might be? God's word. But if all of that isn't convincing enough for you, then you also need to look at number two. Second way we know the Bible is real is this. More than 40 different authors tell the same story 
over a period of more than 2,000 years. More than 40 different authors tell the same story over, the, over a period of more than 2,000 years. Look, the Bible wasn't written by like just a couple of guys, okay? It was written by more than 40 totally different authors over a period of more than 2,000 years. You know, that to me is one of the most remarkable things about the Bible. Because you would think over the period of 2,000 years, 40 guys, it's not like they all got together in the room and, and compared notes. But you would think that over 2,000 years that some of these 40 guys would have said something that would have conflicted with what somebody else said. You would think that that would happen. But it doesn't happen. There's not a single passage in the Bible that conflicts with another passage in the Bible. There's some that are, more, that are harder to understand, but none that conflict. I mean, that, that, that blows me away. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's amazing to me. Look, let me, let me tell you why this is so convincing. If you and I went to a football game and we sat in different parts of the stadium, is it reasonable to assume that we would describe a set, the same play differently because we saw it from a different perspective? Well, sure. I mean, if I was sitting on this side of the stadium and I saw a guy make a touchdown, I would might describe like, oh, man, when that guy made that touchdown, when he caught that ball and he, he stepped out, I thought his foot was going to be out of bounds. But I saw it. Man, his foot was just inside the line. Awesome touchdown. And then you might say, oh, well, man, I, I didn't, couldn't see his feet from where I was. But where I could see, I saw that when he caught the ball, he joggled it a little bit, but, but was able to gain control just before he hit the ground. Awesome touchdown. Just because we describe this, we describe it using different words because of a different angle, a different way. Does that mean, does that mean, does that not mean that we didn't see the same play? No, we saw the same play. We saw the same touchdown. We just describe it differently because our perspectives were different. And different parts of it stood out to us. That's exactly what you have in the Bible. I mean, you got 40 different guys all looking at the same story of how you and I can have faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. And so because they have 40 different angles, they all describe it and tell a different aspect of that same faith story. And they tell it a different way. Does that mean that they're not telling the same story? No. They're just describing it differently. I mean, look, it would be like if at a, at a football game, there was a controversial play, but you had 40 different camera angles from 40 different cameras throughout the stadium. And after they looked at it all, they all confirmed, yep, that play was a touchdown. Would that be convincing enough for you that it was indeed a touchdown? Well, yeah. I mean, look, last week there were plays that were confirmed in the Super Bowl with three cameras. How much more convincing if it was 40? I mean, look, if you had 20 cameras saying one thing and 20 cameras saying another thing, well, there's a lot of room for doubt. All 40 say the same thing without conflicting? How convincing is that? That's what you have. With the Bible, 40 different authors over 2,000 years. Incredibly compelling. But if that weren't enough, we arrive at number three. 
Here's the third reason why I think the Bible is incredibly compelling. Number three, over two billion people follow its teachings. Over two billion people follow its teachings. Look, I mean, I know that in the last several years, Muslims have gotten a lot of press uh, all, uh, all over the world. I get that. But the truth is, is that Christianity far outpaces and outnumbers every other religion in the world by a lot. In fact, it far outpaces everybody that belongs to Islam or even everybody that is an atheist. Look, and I, I mean, I know that there are some people who don't follow the actual teachings and claim Christianity. I get that. But even if you discount those people, over 2 billion people on our planet follow the teachings of this book. And they have so rearranged their lives and follow his teachings to the point where they say, you know what? I have made decisions to change and alter parts of my life. And I have found by my own personal experience that what is written in here works and has been true for me personally. Look, I mean, if it was like two people that said that, I mean, like, who cares? Okay. But if two billion people have said it and have personally experienced it, that's pretty compelling. I mean, look, if you were in the market to go and buy a car and you had five of your friends who bought that same car, they came to you and they said, oh man, that car, best car I've ever bought in my entire life, you absolutely should go and buy it right now. You would give serious, serious consideration to going down to the dealership and plunking down like $20,000 or more to buy that car based on the recommendation of five people. How much more would you look at something and examine it and say, you know what, that's worth really checking out based on the recommendation of two billion people? I mean, does that not, I mean, if you had two billion people recommend, does that, would that be enough for you to say, you know what, I should take a good hard look at this to see if it's really true? I mean, two billion people. I mean, you might think, well, I mean, you know, I don't know, Mike. It's only like one out of every three people alive on the planet. I'm just not sure that's enough people for me. <laughs> I, mean, do you, do you, I mean, seriously, do you hear how ridiculous that sounds? Really? And look, check it out. If that's the recommendation of two billion people that, yeah, they confirm in my own personal life, this is not fairy tales or fables or just stories. This is God's word for me. I mean, is that not compelling enough for you to at least take a really good look at it? To try to understand it? And discover more? That's what this entire series is about. Look, if the Bible is real, and honestly, it's hard for me to imagine a rational person that can't look at some of this evidence and go, well, you know what? I at least should give it some serious consideration, okay? But if the Bible is real, then, and we're gonna, we're gonna look at more evidence throughout this series, and especially when we get to the last week of this series. But if the Bible is real and you arrive at the conclusion that it's real, or admit that, you know what? It, there's a likelihood, a strong likelihood that it's real. Well, then what does that mean for us? What is it that the Bible says that would change my life? 
Well, let me give you three quick things. Here's the first. The first is this, is that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. If the Bible's real, then the truth is that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. I want, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture to you, and it's actually the most famous passage in the entire world that comes from the Bible. I just want you to listen to it. I mean, it'll be on the screen, but just listen as I read it. John 3, beginning in the second half, verse 14. The Son of Man must be lifted up. That's a reference to Jesus being lifted on the cross. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. It means you'll go to heaven when you die. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That means that the only way to be saved from hell is through Jesus. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. That means that if right now you don't believe in Christ, the Bible says that you stand condemned for your sins already. Why? Look what it says. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And to those of you in this room who think, well, I mean, Jesus is just like one way to get to heaven. Okay? There, there's got to be other ways. I mean, there's other religions there's other ways to get to heaven. No, there's not. Not if the Bible's true. Because look what it says in John 14, 6. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it might be easier for you to just say, oh, well, I mean, the Bible's not true. So, therefore, that can't, that can't be right. Really? What are you basing your confidence on? I mean, if you're basing your confidence on what you feel like should be true, or just what you think should be true, or what one other person has told you is true, you're going to go with that, really? I mean, would you go with that versus... <laughs> Thousands of churches with people numbering in the millions all across the New Testament world in different cultures, different economic settings, um, different, even speaking different languages, all testifying that what this says is true. And in addition to that, more than 40 different authors spanning 2,000 years without even conflicting even one time. And more than 2 billion people currently alive giving personal testimony to their experience that yes, what in this is true? Really? You're going to go with what you feel like should be true? Or what you think is true versus all of that? I'm telling you, that is a risky, risky thing to do. And honestly, the eternal stakes are way too high to ignore all of this. Because the Bible says, 
faith in Christ is the only way to get to heaven. Look, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on a cross so that he could pay the price for your sin and for mine. And if you don't accept his free gift to pay for your sin, then you will pay for it. And I've got to be honest with you, no amount of good deeds is ever going to cancel out your sin. That is not how it works. Someone has to pay for sin. Jesus has offered to pay it for you. But if you don't accept his free gift, then you will pay for it. So I would encourage you, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you and ask him to pay for it for you, do it this morning. Look, there's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, I'm telling you, pray it this morning. Ask Jesus, put your faith in Christ as payment for your own sin. And then pledge to follow him as best you can from this day forward. It doesn't mean you've got to be perfect, but it means you're going to try and do your best. That's what it means. Okay? All right. If the Bible's true, then it also says the second very important thing. Number two, it says this. It says, I obey God out of a response to forgiveness, not out of a fear of punishment. I obey God out of a response to forgiveness, not out of a fear of punishment. Listen to what this next verse says. In uh, 1 John 5, 3, it says, We show our love for God by obeying his commandments. You know, most people think that they have to obey God or else God won't like them or he's going to strike them down. No, that's how it works in a dysfunctional family. But God loves you and he loves me. And get this, that's why even before you were born, God sent his son Jesus to die for you because he loved you first. He's always loved you. And he demonstrated his love first by sending his son Jesus. And so by accepting Jesus, that free gift, that's the first step. But you show your love back to God, not to earn his love, because you already have it. You, sh- you obey God to show your love back to him. That's the only way that we can do it, really. And that's why we obey God. To show our love back to him. That's what the Bible says. Here's the third thing that the Bible says that impacts us today. I look to the Bible as my guidebook for how to live. I look to the Bible as my guidebook for how to live. 2 Timothy 3.16, the Bible says this. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. And teaches us to do what's right. God has given us the Bible to help us. To guide us. To make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It strains us out. And teaches us to do what is right. If that's true. Then you and I. We need to study it more. I mean we need to seek to understand it more. And that. Is what we're going to talk about. Next week. All right, I want everybody, if you would, pull out your connection card. I want you to look at it on the back. There's some next steps. I want you to think about the next step or steps that you are willing to commit to today. And maybe it's this first next step. I will pray the prayer to become a Christ follower for the first time 
in my life. If you have never prayed that prayer, and maybe you prayed it a minute ago when we were talking about it, or maybe you'll make a commitment to pray it like right now, or when Pat and the team come up and play this next song, would you check that box if you're praying that prayer for the first time this morning? Because we want to mail you some free stuff in the mail that'll help you get started in your faith in Christ. I also want you on your way out to pick up a new believer packet. They're located in the basket just before you exit each of these three doors out of this room. So grab a new believer packet on your way out this morning. All right, next, next step. I'm already a Christ follower, but I've been living far from God. I make a commitment to turn my life around. I mean, if just after hearing this, you realize, God, I've made so many mistakes. I've lived so far from you, but I want today to be the first day of making a change. And I want to start taking this book and letting it change me. Just a start. Would you be willing to check that box? Is that next step? Maybe this next, this third one. I will show God I love him by obeying him as best I can. Maybe you've been obeying God out of fear your whole life. Today's the day to change that motive to, to better align with what the Bible says. That you're doing it not out of fear, but because you want to show God how much you love him. Would you make that change? This, how about this next one? I will come back the next four Sundays to understand more about the Bible. Look, take, a, take the next month of Sundays and invest that in your own personal spiritual well-being to discover more about this book. And look, if you can't come as four Sundays, come as many as you can. But check this box, even if, you're, even if you already know you have to miss one, but at least check the box to basically say, I'm going to come the next four or as many as I can. Would you check that box? All right, how about this last one? I'll memorize 2 Timothy 3.16, awesome verse. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out, straightens us out and teaches us to do what's right. Would you memorize that? I mean, it, what a great verse that sums up the whole Bible and what it's for. Let me pray for you. As Pat and the worship team come back up, And I'll see you next week. Father, I thank you for um, the truth of this message. I thank you for all, all that you did to make the Bible real and compelling and so alive and so convincing that if we were to look at it with a truly open mind, it would be hard to say, nah. And Lord, for the skeptic in this room, for maybe someone who's got doubts, that's okay, Lord. I ask that you would help them to feel your love, but you would also help them to come back and examine more, to learn more, to understand more, and that you would reveal to them more. So that by the time we get to the end of this series, God, it's no longer a leap of faith, but it's a step. And so, use this series in all of our lives and ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. Our prayer is that God has given you at least one next step to take today in your walk with Christ. For more information about Parkway Fellowship or to contact us, visit www.parkwayfellowship.com. To talk with a pastor about becoming a Christ follower for the first time, you can call our offices at 832-222-9282. 